Welcome to episode 663 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 663 of I Am Talk. You know, we've been going for a while, we have. Uh, with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Oz, how are you going? I'm pretty good, Bevan, yourself? Well, can I give a tip this week? Yes. Okay, so what's my tip? What's my, I haven't thought of it, because I've just thought of this on the spot. Mm. Um, when you're making your your partner, okay, so people who are in relationships, do you make do you make the hot drink for your wife? No. Why not? Because she's got a coffee machine, she's a coffee drinker. Uh, no, I don't even, don't go there. Really? Yeah. Could you learn? I mow the lawns. I mow the lawns as well, actually. Good. That's about all I do. There's Bevan's tip. Mow the lawns. <laughs> okay, that's this week's tip. Mow the lawns. I'll take it. <laughs> there we go. That's this week's tip. Strong start to the show. <laughs> um, I talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few, Jumbo. Paula, Wave Crasher, Ryan. We've got Penny, I'm going to say the money skiddies. <laughs> can't be skiddy. <laughs> what, what do you reckon it is? Skiddy. Sikids. 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 I love your name, Penny. Fantastic. The money. She's the money. You're the money. And Michael the Minor Rydiger. (laughs) (laughs) I feel a bit different today, John. You know why? Because you've been sitting here for three hours talking to me? (laughs) Partly that. But because I hit the phone at the end of the last show, I'm on a different angle. Feeling very casual. Look at me. Very casual. (laughs) Okay, this week's show, guys, we're pre recording this because, um, well, John's. Have you finished root bin yet? Starting Sunday, Monday. We're walking out today. Okay, walking out the root bin. So that's good. So we've basically got two things happening. Um, we have two interviews. John, who are they with? We have got uh, Rich Viola and one of his accomplices, John, are talking about firstly Everyman Jack. Every Jack, and then secondly, talking about some strong, not strong, statistically backed up suggestions they've got for Kona and trying to make it fairer for the age group athletes and I enjoyed it and I, I love the stats yeah it's very good stuff and then afterwards now we've got Mecca on next week we, and we had a great and like when we thought about the greatest of the 90s I always thought Mecca was the person to talk to because he's just mm. a historian he mm-hmm. you know like loves the sport obviously um, but we kind of thought well we've got him on let's kind of split him up because we want to talk a bit about the Super League so we've got him on to talk about what's happening in Super League how it all started and, and that stuff and then next week we'll have him back on for the gods of the 90s or the male god in short because we're kind of mm-hmm. divvying things up a bit from here so that's going to be coming so but today we have Macaron talking about the Super League so John we're just going to do a couple of little quick things on news there's an announcement oh, this is Big news. Big news. If you hadn't figured it out a few weeks ago, we're going back to road in 2020. Now, why is this um, important? Why are we announcing it now? You guys need to be planning for rote because it's over a year out. You generally can't get an entry in because um, Bevan said, oh, should we not tell people, should we sort of hold off promoting this yeah. until um, after entries close? Entries close, open and close within a couple of minutes. So chances are you'll miss out. Part of the camp. We've got slots for the race, um, plus we spend the whole week over there. Why are we going back there again? It's an awesome, awesome camp. Um, it's, oh. I really enjoy putting it on. You have an amazing race, but just the whole week and uh, the, just people's... The feedback we get is yeah. awesome, eh? Like life-changing stuff for some people, eh? Yeah. We, we, we say yeah. that, but, but some people no, do go seriously. away from our camps yeah. uh, and change professions, give up jobs, and just go, right, I'm just... Start doing the lawns for their partner. <laughs> yeah. You know? like so it's things. a great camp. So we'll have the details on iamtalk.me. Um, you can click on there, um, and we'll only have 20 slots. That is all we will have. So uh, get on it. If you ever wanted to do Rote 2020, this is your opportunity. So I'll put the website will be on there this week, so check it out. Now, we've pre-recorded, but we have got one race with a little bit of news to talk about. We've got Ironman Texas coming up. Up this weekend it's gonna be i'm really looking forward to this race it's a good strong males field but on the female side like any race when you've got the biggest kahuna in the world racing uh it's always exciting like we had javier gomez come down here and do challenge wanaka a few years ago and that was wicked but you've got daniela reef who is just the bee's knees yep. predicted to come in an 828 42 wow okay God, so I hope she can do now, that. now the next person is predicted 30 minutes slower Jocelyn McCauley, who's one of the best, you heard her on the show a few weeks ago, at the moment, you know, one of the form athletes in the world is predicted to come in 30 minutes slower. Unbelievable. So it could be a Daniela Reef, a domination, and if she's on fire, 
imagine if she goes that fast. Going to be awesome. Boys side of racing uh, could be a, an amazing race. Got lots of different angles to look at it. Good strong field. Got Patrick Nielsen, Matt Hanson, Will Clark, Joe Skipper, Michael Vice, Andrew Starkowitz, Matt Russell, um, Kyle Buckingham, David Police. Loads of different ways this race could pan out. You're going to have Starkowitz absolutely obliterating the bike, um, no doubt. And he's predicted to come off the bike in four hours fifty-seven, which by Torsten's ratings will give him about a thirteen-minute lead over everybody. Uh, so. Yeah, really interested to see how he goes. He's showed some pretty good running legs this year. Um, so if he can yeah, if he can run a three-hour flat run, he's in the mix. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. And just fingers crossed for, for Texas that everything goes okay. You know, we've had so many disasters there in terms of weather, in terms of course challenges. So just hope if everybody out there, I hope you have a good day. And it's a championship race. Um, no, it's not a championship race, sorry. Or is it? Sorry, I'm... Uh, it used to be. I don't think it is anymore. Because remember last year they had the problems? Uh, now I've gone and confused myself, Bevan. Maybe, maybe it is. Look at the field. Maybe it is. Uh, Let's find out. What does Sawson say? Sawson does. He does the work. Yeah. Uh, pretty sure it is. Anyway, whether or not it is or it isn't, 56% of a Kona field, and it's that's a good, strong men's field. I mean, you've got Daniela Reef racing. I'm excited to see how fast she can go. Um, you've got a little bit here about the World Triathlon Festival. So the festival, which is where they've got the long course and all that happening, but the long course doesn't actually happen until the 4th of May. Yeah, so that's, that whole festival starts this week, and then uh, we'll talk about the ITU World Long Distance Champs. Which um, just comes a little bit later. Comes a little bit later. So let's talk about the ITU the festival, which is happening in Bermuda. Bermuda, so this is the next round of the ITU circuit. Last year we had the Norwegian trifecta um, on the male side of it, which was just fascinating to see uh, and then Flora Duffy absolutely killing the females race so this is Flora Duffy is listed to start and she hasn't raced since god knows when she did this race last year then went on to win the Commonwealth Games and really was injured from sort of around about then onwards and uh, and others have sort of stolen her mantle I'm fascinated to see if she can come back and be a real force and also probably on the men's side of things the cool thing with the ITU is you almost always get the fields are stacked. I'm just excited to see how Johnny Brownlee goes this season, whether he can get back to his previous best, and if his best is good enough to be winning. Okay, uh, that's pretty much it for now. John, let's do. Let's put an interview in, eh? So we've got the boys from Extra, sorry, Everyman Jack, the triathlon team, and it's Rich and John, and they're going to be talking a little bit about what Everyman Jack is, uh, or at least the triathlon team and the product, and products. And then they also read a really good open piece to Andrew Messick around the drafting in Kona, and we're going to get into a bit of depth around that as well. So here they are right now. Right, our team, um, we're going to be having a bit of a two-pronged interview on a couple of different angles here. We've got uh, Rich Rayola, who has started the Everyman Jack team. Uh, he's also a very, very successful age grouper himself, having won Kona titles. And when you look at his record, it's got more ones in the uh, in the winning column than anywhere else. Um, also got uh, John Matson, who's going to be talking us through um, also some of the some suggestions that Everyman Jack team have got for Ironman around trying to figure out a way to make the bike ride a little bit more fair for everybody. So uh, we will delve into that in a bit more detail, but welcome along to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So Rich, um, tell us a bit about Everyman Jack, both in terms of the product, because a lot of people outside America are probably not going to know what it is, and then maybe just fill us in a bit about um, the Everyman Jack team and and how it all sort of came about. Um, Yeah, so Everyman Jack is a line of naturally derived grooming products uh, marketed specifically to men. Um, Obviously, the U.S. is our biggest market. Um, We're also in Canada and we've just opened up a warehouse in the UK. Um, and later this year, we'll also be launching uh, into Australia and New Zealand. Oh, come um, on. Nice so, one. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So um, still all TBD on how all that's going to work out. But um, obviously looking to expand the brand. Uh, so, you know, the personal care categories that we that we cover are, you know, pretty much everything guys need from you know, body wash to shampoos, shaving creams. We have beard, a uh, whole line of beard products, um, which in the U.S. have become very popular. Um, um, anyway, razors, kind of the whole gamut, whatever you need to, you know, look your best, um, we, we, we have you covered. Uh, so from the team perspective, 
you know, I started doing triathlon actually around the same time I started the company, which was about 12 years ago. Uh, and as an entrepreneur, it was, it was a good, like sort of stress release, you know, and just caught me on a, a daily agenda. And I think just allowed me to approach sort of the stresses of starting your own business or even the highs and lows of owning your own business. Um, I feel like I, I dealt with the lows much better when I had gotten up in the morning and sweated. Um, so, so, so anyway, so I got into triathlon and then a few years into it, I just thought that, you know, I couldn't go to whole foods without running into other triathletes that I felt like, okay, we should consider sponsoring a team. And, you know, I was on a different team and, um, I just felt like, uh, this was a great market for the Everyman Jack brand. So we started that in 2012 and then 2014. Um, so we started in 12, we were just San Francisco Bay Area team. And then in 2014, we went uh, national uh, and we added even some athletes in, in uh, Canada. And so, I mean, now we've, we started at about 25 athletes and now we have 85 athletes across the U.S. and Canada um, and, and we've really built some really, I think, fun pockets in different metropolitan areas where the guys are training a lot together, um, you know, that it really does feel like a team within a team, little pods all over the country. So, you know, you start out with a bit of a vision. Uh, how's it developed into what it is today and what's kind of changed since you kind of started the process? Um, well, I mean, well, so much has changed, but... Um, I think, um, well, first of all, I never intended it to go national. I mean, it kind of was a selfish marketing endeavor to begin with where I could write off my draft on expenses, right? And, and so I, I guess the biggest, there's a couple of things that I, I never anticipated the demand to be on the team and like how many people would be interested in that. Um, and I think it's actually in the U.S. It's really, you know, one of the, I think teams are very popular now where triathlon is such an individual sport, but I think the reality is, is like people really do want to be part of a team. Um, and even though you're not necessarily, you know, racing with each other, uh, like, you know, like a team race or whatnot, but, um, but it really is a, just a lot more fun to have training partners, you know, go to the similar races together. Um, I think it just adds a lot more fun to the sport. Um, and so, so that's one thing I, you know, the demand that we've gotten has been a little overwhelming. Um, and I think also just this, the crowd support that we've gotten, like people, um, I mean, even in races outside the country, like some people were talking about being in South Africa last year for 70.3 worlds, like how many people were screaming EMJ. Um, so the, the fans and the volunteers are really, really good to the team that I actually feel like you put on that kit, you go five minutes faster. Like you just feel, um, the energy from the crowd. Um, so that's something I, I, I didn't expect. Um, and I think the last thing is just that it really is, I'm really glad that we've always kept it just men on the team. Obviously it makes sense from a business standpoint, being every man Jack. But I think being a male-only team, since we're all grown adults and all in relationships and marriages, I feel as though the significant others and the families feel very, very much a part of the team. Um, and I, I think that the sport takes us away from our families enough um, that I think it's really important for them to be very much a part of the team and, and the sport as much as possible. Um, and we know lots of the wives are friends and and talk and hang out either at races or even not at races. And I think that's something that actually is, has surprised me. Um, but that's not something I went in intending to, uh, to be part of the culture, but I think it's actually really, really awesome part of the culture. So you said, you know, demand has got really, really strong for, for spots on the team. So how, how, what's the sort of criteria for people to get on? You know, normally I see you guys, you know, you know you're towards the front of the race. So I guess speed is a fairly high criteria. But how, how do you sort of decide who's in and, and who's not? Um, well, we do an application process and that is um, – it's a very difficult process, but there's a few guys that kind of help out. But um, ultimately, we look at speed, social media presence, 
and and now just because we have guys in so many markets, you know, it, it, it's usually um, someone has recommended the athlete or knows the athlete. It's, um, so like we always tell people that are interested, hey, come find us at races. Like, let's meet. Hey, go go find the guys in your local market. Go for a ride, you know, um, because at the end of the day, I do have to make sure during that process that I have my marketing hat on. And these are people that are representing a brand that I've worked very, very hard to build. Uh, and I'm just not interested in having any, uh, you know, try arrogance or try dicks on the squad, you know, and when you do an application over the internet, you know, you don't really know, you know, um, I, I, and I have to say, we've gotten so lucky. We have some really incredible guys on the team. And I think that that culture has helped us recruit like-minded athletes. Um, so, um, so yeah, so it's, it's a mix of speed. Obviously a lot of our triathlon sponsors really want speed. You know, you have to be active and, 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 and present on social media. I think both for the sponsors and also to get a lot out of the team, since we're all in uh, different cities, I think that that connection is really strong online. Um, so and, and then, you know, we take a look at what you do within your own community, you know, like what kind of things are you doing to help grow um, the sport of triathlon with your own community, which I think is obviously really important um, as well. So it's kind of a, like I said, there's no, there's no scientific way, but the guys are usually pretty darn fast. Um, so you, you, on your site, you have, you say you have a focus on giving back. Just kind of what does that entail? Um, well, it can be a lot of different things, right? But, um, I mean, we're obviously going to talk about Ironman a little bit. Um, but to grow the sport that we all really like, um, a lot of times I think as you evolve as an athlete and you get faster or whatever, you set your sights on bigger and, you know, perhaps in your mind, better races. Uh, and so one initiative that we've had over the last uh, two years is to race local, uh, so not necessarily giving back in the sense of like mandating that people volunteer at races, but just showing up and supporting the local triathlon community. Um, ultimately, we believe that's where a lot of newbies start, right? And let's show up, make those races successful so that we can bring more people into the sport. Um, and then in addition to that, we've done, you know, probably every other year, some charity rides where we raise money for the Challenge Athletes Foundation, um, which I think think that is an, uh, uh, a charity that's somewhat world known worldwide. Um, but, um, you know, just rallying your local community to, you know, all come together, whether it's a studio ride or an outdoor ride, we've done that. But, you know, I think when you, when you have an elite racing team, it's like, gosh, sometimes you can get just a little too caught up in kind of all the training and your race goals and everything. And, you know, and so we just encourage people to get out there in their community. I mean, when you go race a local race, oh my gosh, it's so fun that you you can't help but sort of relax a little bit and remember that oh, we're doing this for fun, right? This is all for fun for us. I mean, it, we we don't have it. We only have one guy that's racing professional out of the eighty-five. You know, so every and he's works too. So it's a hobby for all of us. And I think, like I said, just penetrating your local market and giving back in that way just allows you to constantly remember that it truly is a hobby and you're doing it for fun. And I think when you approach the sport in that way, that's at least the way I've approached it. Um, I, I think you really will like the results that you get from it. You just you race a lot more relaxed, right? Rather than feeling like this is the end all be all, you know? Um, Fantastic. So guys, you can check out Everyman Jack. You know, it's pretty easy to find the team uh, and also the products sound awesome. So we're looking forward to them spreading to different parts of the world. Now, one of the, the things that stemmed this uh, interview today was uh, somebody sent through a link, and I think I filled in the survey as well a while ago that you guys were doing around Kona and the drafting. And you've got this classic picture on this open letter that you've written to Andrew Messick, which is in Kona. And often we say... You know, the camera angle sometimes doesn't really give you the benefit of the doubt in the drafting situation. <laughs> but this picture, it is in Kona, uh, almost positive it is. Uh, it's horrific, and it really shows how bad the drafting problem for age groupers has become over there. Um, so we'll maybe bring John Matson into the call now, because um, 
you guys have written a letter and we've discussed this on the show quite a few times about possible solutions for making Kona a bit fairer. Some people say have a two-day format. We know, well, I, my opinion is that's never going to happen. And um, But some people have said starting at this time, starting at that time, splitting it up. But um, John, maybe just give us a bit of background on yourself and, and what involvement you've had uh, around creating this uh, you know, statistically driven article. Right. I, I think, uh, you know, we all kind of have the same reaction when we see that photo. And um, and there are a lot of proposals that, that get thrown out there. And so um, myself as a data scientist, I, I kind of thought that, you know, there, there must be a, a more scientific way to to address this problem. And um, I'm, I'm new to the Everyman Jack team this year. And luckily, Rich reached out and asked if anybody wanted to help. And uh, and so here we are. And, and you know, it, it really kind of shows that if you put a little bit of data to it, you can uh, maybe come up with some proposals that may not seem obvious at, at first glance, but that can really be effective. So can you, can you run us through a bit of your data in terms of, you know, how unrealistic it is for us not to draft? You know, maybe how many people are on the course at a particular time or what you've sort of gleaned out of the stats, you know, how many people right. come out between 55 and 105 or whatever, whatever the things that make it such a big issue in your opinion, or not in your opinion, what the stats tell us. Yeah, the biggest get rid issue. of opinion. <laughs> exactly. Um, so one of the things that was immediately obvious when I started looking at the data is that, you know, Kona, you have this very pointy end of the field and there's a lot of people that are within that, that pointy end. And so um, when you're letting 1500 athletes go all in the same moment, uh, that, that all swim, you know, between maybe a 55 and a, and a 115, uh, you're going to see some pretty big packs. And so one of the, one of the most shocking things is that if you look at, you know, any 10 minute window, uh, over, over the, uh, exit of transition one, if you, if you look at any 10 minute window and you see that over 600 athletes are coming out over a 10 minute window, that means there's only a, a second between them on average. And, uh, and so, you know, for a second between them, they have to be traveling pretty slowly to not be drafting. And, and so, um, 2018 was, was probably up there with, with the worst because the weather conditions were pretty favorable. And so a lot of people swam well and, um, and you know, at, at its peak, we see around 630 people exiting over 10 minutes and, uh, and they, you know, enter the bike course and they really have nowhere they can go. Yeah. So how, how did you go? You've, you've come up with some suggestions here, a proposed wave format, uh, and that's something I've said I won't go back to Kona until they have a, a better solution. So, so run us through what you've come up with and, and how you came about it uh, and what other scenarios kind of entered into the fray before you came up with your sort of final conclusion. Yeah. Sure. Um, hey, actually, John, can I just talk a little bit about the background um, absolutely. before you get into the data? Yeah. So um, I think we've all seen individual opinions being thrown around that they need to do this or they need to do that. And so one of the things that we wanted to do um, was make sure that we were collecting feedback. So we actually also have some management consultants on the, um, on the team. And so they actually launched a survey, which I think you said you filled out. But we got 350 people to fill it out. It was about 25% women, 75% men. And while we had our own hypothesis, we really thought, okay, well, we need to make sure that we're listening to, you know, sort of the Kona contingent. What do other people think to make sure that before we move to the data phase that we're actually coming up with suggested um, recommendations that we want to analytically test out that um, are, are kind of coming from other people as well, that it's not just my idea or our team's idea. Um, and I thought that was pretty critical, um, just seeing the various comments um, that we heard back. And one thing I thought was interesting, which sort of led to one of our hypotheses of this wave start and how big a wave should be, was that there was not a ton of negative feedback from the women that were surveyed. The women that were surveyed that complained about drafting, they complained about the males and the male packs that they had to get around, you know, like, so we were really causing issues within their race. And so we sort of used that, I don't remember how many women there were, 750 or something, it was 27% of the field. Um, we kind of used that wave as a hypothesis. Okay, let's start with this type of wave size. 
Um, and then John can kind of walk through all the different scenarios, but we felt like something was working within that wave, um, that there was no pictures of women writing like they, the men were right. Um, and that's not to say there wasn't drafting issues within the women, but I do, we did believe that a high percentage of them were because they were getting gobbled up by men, um, that it really was a result of the cluster and the congestion that was in front of them, not as a result of their wave. Just what were some of the kind of key take-homes from the survey? Oh, gosh, they were all over the place. Okay. People, don't, people don't like rolling starts was pretty clear for a world championship race. I don't even think they like them in, in everyday uh, Ironman races, you know, but a lot of the people that are saying that are – you know, probably front packers and ultimately um, the rolling start. I mean, the data supports it. It does help with drafting. It does help with athlete safety. There's no question around that. Um, so, um, but that's one reason why we stayed clear of even making that as a, as a hypothesis or a recommendation for Kona, because we really felt like for a world championship race, like people really want to race their age group. Um, you know, someone commented, oh, why aren't you doing waves by speed? It's like, well, because that's not what the, the, the athletes as a whole wanted. They want to race their age group. They want the first person to cross the finish line in their age group to be the winner. And that's not the case in a lot of the races now with the rolling start. Um, so that was that was something that I think was helpful for us to sort of um, know. I mean, there were a lot of comments that you got to move to two day format. Um, but I think people are a little like, have, have they walked the streets of Kona at midnight? Like it, I don't think people really realize the heroics that go into pulling off a world championship race of that caliber and that tiny Island, you know, and to think that someone's going to wake up the next day and do it all over again, or maybe there's a day break. I don't know, but I think it's really unrealistic. So, um, so, there, so like I said, there were, suggestions um that we took to heart and then there were some that we sort of didn't right the two-day format we thought you know we want to put something in front of iron man that we feel like hey you could really execute this like let's look at the data listen to what we're saying about marshals this is something that's easily within your control to change for 2019 um and you know some of the thoughts are on like gps tracking I mean, it's all possible, but it's costly and the technology is like, likely not there just yet. So again, we kind of stayed as close to um, the current race format and said like, okay, if you just make these simple changes, that could be a completely different race. So anyway. Yes, yeah, so John, um, John run, us, run us through some of the stats and the scenarios that you ran before you came up with the, the final outcome. Um, right. So as, I mean, as Rich said, we, you know, we really did want to keep that, that wave format. And so, um, we started with, uh, trying to exhaust every possible wave combination, you know, males 18 to 25 with females age, you know, 70 and up. And, and, uh, turns out there's about 17 billion combinations to fit within four waves. So, uh, that, that quickly became unfeasible, but, but one thing that, um, that kind of made itself apparent when, when I looked into the data was that, um, there was a little bit more speed with, with youth, uh, and, and then the 40, 49 and, and up, like every age group you go up, that kind of peak cluster of people coming out of the water was about five minutes slower. And so, um, one of the things that that tells you is that, uh, you know, putting the, the, you know, statistically faster, uh, waves first gets them out of the way. And so, um, after that, you know, we kind of went to this, uh, hand massaged, uh, vanity waves, you know, waves that are very easy to explain, very easy to understand and, um, and found that, you know, some of them were actually the most efficient things that we could do. Um, and so that's kind of what led us towards our proposal. Uh, we looked at, I, I don't know, I probably looked at, you know, 50 or 60 different combinations of this. And since we've um, submitted our letter. I've looked at, you know, a dozen more of, you know, proposals <laughs> that people had and, uh, and, you know, some of them, they, you know, they do have some, some, uh, some validity and, and some of the other ones are, are less effective than a, a mass wave start. So, um, it's really about trying to find something that's easy to understand and something that, uh, you know, can feasibly be done, which I think 
you know, our proposal kind of kind of hits all of those points. So the proposed wave format you guys have got is uh, starting males under 40 at 650, males 40 to 49 at 7, fem- uh, males 50 and up at 710, and females at 720. So by doing this, what is the impact in terms of the number of people exiting T2? You know, give us an example um, of, you know, does it cutting it by 50%, 25% or what are the sort of the time gaps now when people are exiting onto the bike? Yeah. Um, so we, we, uh, like I said, over those like kind of 10 minute gaps, you go from something around 600 people, uh, you go down to, you know, around 400 people. And so it doesn't sound like a lot, but, um, at 22, 23 miles an hour, you need about 1.2, I think seconds in front of you to, to have a, a valid gap to fill. And so that opens it up enough that athletes can get on the course and they, they can occupy space on the road while still, you know, following that safe draft limit. And so one of the, um, one of the mechanisms we use to, uh, to, uh, validate that, you know, this proposal would work is to look at how many athletes might have to draft. And, um, so when we look at, at the current proposal or sorry, the current waves, um, there are years where over 200 people exit T1 and they have nowhere to go on the road, um, except to sit within a draft of somebody else. And, and in our proposed format, um, you know, simulating those same years, but with different waves, uh, we drop that down to about five. So it's, you know, it's definitely shown that this can be effective at, at kind of rate limiting those people out of transition. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, if it's executed, something like that can actually be true that people can come out of transition and, and start cycling without, you know, three, four people stacked up in front of them. So before we go back to Rich, maybe, is there anything else about the stats that you kind of wanted to, to get out there? Because I know you've got other suggestions for Ironman as well as the stats, but is, was there anything else that you've got in there that you want to get out there and make sure people understand where you're coming from? Yeah, I think um, the the one big thing that I saw in some of the feedback um, centered around female athletes and, you know, maybe female athletes going first or second. And um, and so um, we did look a lot at, at how we could potentially even split up that female age group. And um, and it all came down to, you know, how big of a window is Ironman willing to 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 separate people out, uh, through the day and, and how late are they willing to go until they don't want to start any more waves. And, um, and so it was a matter of, you know, can we push the females later? And if we can do that, that, that helps. And then it also, um, as Rich said, I think it, it, it helps with safety. Um, you know, we had females complaining about big groups of male packs coming by. And, um, and so I think, you know, with our current proposal, it helps with that safety as well. Fantastic. Mm. So, Rich, um, have you had any feedback from Ironman um, on this? Um, the other oh, I'm sure they listen straight away. The other suggestion you've got more qualified marshals, you know, in terms of um, that's you know going to help with the drafting situation on the bike. But have you actually submitted this to Ironman, and have you had any feedback whatsoever? Um, yeah, I emailed the um, the document to Andrew before we actually even published it live, so that they um, and and Jimmy just so that they heard it from us first, you know, um, at the end of the day, I think they want to do the right thing. You know, of course they want to um, provide a great, uh, experience and a fair race for the athletes. Um, but I, I think at the, at the same time, they're running a business that has lots of different objectives and are, are they hurting, um, getting people to go to Kona and race that race? They absolutely are not. Right. So, um, I feel like it really does have to be us athletes demanding that this happens. That's why obviously this type of coverage is good, just so they know that like this is really important to us. Um, Andrew um, got back to me right away, like he always does. Um, like I said, I think they want to do the right thing. He didn't give me any inclination as to um, what what changes um, they're making, uh, which I, I, I don't see why he'd give me um, – you know, a peek under the tent, but when, when we did tell them when we were launching the survey as well. So I know that they've been working on stuff and I assume that that means that there's going to be some changes that are announced soon that will impact 
you know, 2019 race. Fantastic. And so obviously in terms of if listeners want to support what you guys are doing, um, what can, what can they do? Um, well, I think the best thing to do, honestly, is just to, to, um, go to, um, the team Everyman Jack Facebook page and share our posts and tag them, right. So that they, they keep seeing that athletes are still talking about this. Uh, there's also a group in Europe that started a petition called no drafting spirit 78. Uh, they didn't actually, both of these work really well because they basically were just did a petition to get people to say like enough is enough, but there wasn't any, um, there was a list of things that they wanted Ironman to consider, but I think we kind of took it a step further. So the combination of the two is helpful. I mean, obviously people from all over the world are really demanding this. So I think if we keep talking about it, um, ultimately, you know, they will move. I think they're going to move anyway, but I just think that they need constant reinforcement that this is what the athletes want. Because again, it's Kona. These slots are not rolling down because there's drafting. They're still getting gobbled up, you know, um, but I, I think at the end of the day, there, they, there are a lot of people that are not even doing Ironman racing with the hopes of qualifying for Kona because they won't go because they know, you know, what the current, and I think you said that you were, you know, someone in that, in that boat as well. Right. Absolutely. Wicked guys. So if, yeah, great uh, if you want to check out, um, any of this stuff, go to teamemj.com and, uh, you can see it there or you can go to their Facebook page. And as you said, I'll be going on there and sharing that post myself because it is a major issue. And I know some people say, don't, don't necessarily see it, but when you're out there in the thick of it, the, it, it seems like there's no way out unless you bloody can ride about a 4.15 and ride straight through the packs. You are kind of a bit screwed. So, guys, um, all the best with this and uh, look forward to seeing your products in New Zealand. And thanks so much for your time. Great. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you. John, your thoughts? Oh, look, I'd urge you guys to go and read the article, and especially if you race in Kona and seen what it really is like, is to do what you can to share it and to, and to make your voice be heard. A couple of things to add to this that we didn't necessarily discuss. John Matson, who you heard was the stats guy on there, he's got some skin in the game because he is going to be doing his first Kona in October. Oh, nice work. So fingers crossed, luck, John, John, your work is actually uh, going to benefit yourself when you're out there. And we didn't really discuss, they've also got a suggestion in their... Um, piece about marshalling you know it, I, I get you know it's really hard to get good draft marshals you think got to get them a get a good draft marshal and b got to get them to kona but i think that's the responsibility of the race organizer to have but it's more also hard we're like we look at that photo mm. who, oh. who, who gets the penalty exactly everyone but i think that's a combination of things if they get yeah. the timing right if they get more marshals on the course and people know that they're going to get busted there's that fear factor um i think that yeah, if they can do all these things, I think he's still going to get a shitload of drafting there. There's going to, but I think it'll be more manageable drafting. Well, the problem is right now is everyone has to be a cheat. Yeah, you know, yeah. everyone has to be a cheat, and we want to get it to a place where it's a choice to be a cheat. Hmm. You know, and then you should get penalised if you make that choice. Absolutely, um, John. We're going to put into a little bit of sponsor right now. So let's go sponsor Extreme <sighs> Endurance. You're lactic, like buff. You probably need that after doing the root burn. I quite possibly do. You're using some different muscle groups, and you're exactly right there. And you're carrying a pack? Yeah. But the other thing that I, you know, especially for us changing seasons over here, is one thing I'm really conscious of is keeping my system in, in one uh, one piece. So the immune boost is fantastic for that. You know, there's lots of rides. God, I got wet about three rides in a row. You look out the window and go, I'm not getting on the bloody trainer today. I'm going outside. It looks okay. You get like 4Ks in, and it's just drizzling the rest of the ride and that's that time when you're really on edge your training's starting to go a bit harder for me especially and you're on the edge where you might start to get sick so that's when I start cranking my immune boost and make sure I stay nice and healthy so I can keep that training consistency and it really does make a fantastic difference so if you haven't tried it before go to xendurance.com look up immune and uh, it's a fantastic antioxidants, multivitamin, all in one, and uh, works a treat, and I have lots of people keep coming back locally um, and just keep getting it because they know it makes a difference. So check it out, xendurance.com or .co.uk or .eu, and get yourself fit and healthy, changing season. Lots of you guys will be having the, the other swing that we have here. We have some hot days and some cold days, so keep yourself healthy with Immune Boost. Keep it swinging, team. Keep it swinging. Keep it okay. swinging. <laughs> we're, we're no, that's kick- part of the plan. 
Oh, John, you've got to keep things swinging, you know? <laughs> Whatever that thing is for you. I you wondered know? what that bowl was by the front door. <laughs> okay, so um, we've got Chris McCormick, the legend that is, um, on the show today talking a little bit what's happening with Super League. So here is Chris right now. Right, guys, so you've all seen well, and marvelled, at least I've been marvelling a lot, Super League, and it's been fantastic. We've had some races, uh, you know, over the last um, sort of our summer period and the end of last year, and it's all been brilliant. And uh, but we really want to know where the where the heck this, this series is going and, and where, it, where it started from. So we've got Chris McCormick on the show, who was one of the founders of the series. So welcome back to the show, Chris. Oh, thank you, guys. It's been a while. It's been a while, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's um, yeah. It's, uh, anyone who was around in the nineties probably remembers a, a very similar type of racing format we had in Australia called the Formula One series. So that was sort of the the idea behind um, launching a series like Super League. You know, when you start to get older and you you start to retire from the sport, you start to reflect on on the races that had the most impact on your career and the, and the races that you enjoyed the most. And I think for me. And most of the Australians that, that came through that era, that was probably the best racing we ever did. So that was sort of the catalyst of, of me trying to, to implement a, a similar series for the next generation of athletes. And, uh, and we've done that relatively successfully. The, the, up, the uptake's been remarkable and uh, we're growing year on year. We've just set up offices in London. We've got our Singapore offices and, uh, yeah, we're having a crack. We're all in. Why not? So how, how did you actually get this off the ground? Because, you know, when we watch it, it, it looks pretty slick in terms of, you know, there's plenty of cameras on course. Um, you, you basically seem to be doing everything right in terms of the production. You've got, I mean, I, I think the commentary team you guys do yourself and, and the other fella is really good. And then when you've got the likes of John, uh, Brownlee in there as well, that works well. So it kind of just all seems to work. But I'm thinking it must cost a shitload of money. Um, so I guess how, how did you, you had the idea for it, but how did you actually go out and and make it happen well i think when you're a pro triathlete or you know and a lot of us have been and i know i know you were johnny and a lot of the pros spend their whole life on bikes complaining about the current status quo right but no one really goes no one ever really goes layers it down and asks the question of how the business model of triathlon really works and you know they just like to complain about pros not getting enough and so you know the the common enemy i guess amongst a lot of the pros is is the iron man brand which i find that hard to to understand because Ironman is built off the back of of, um, of mass participation. So it's a mass participation sport that pros benefit from. From the more amateurs that race, the more ability for us to take a take some some prize money. So that's not really a professional sport. That's just a, a a winner of a certain race gets paid and it just happens to be under a single brand. So what we did, we sort of looked at those professional sports that work and how they work. So media value, understanding return on investment for for both partners and sponsors, what they're looking for, and and you need media in order to do that. Ironman doesn't deliver that, nor will they ever do that because it's not a, a media-friendly product. So what we sort of sat down and built out a business case on on what a professional sports property should look like and whether it's viable within the sport of triathlon. So we we brought on a few partners in Nielsen and Octagon to, to give us a lot of feedback on data around triathlon. And, and when you look at the numbers of people that are interested in the sport and you compare it to other sports that are that are in the professional realm, there was a, a business case to march forward with it. So we went to market, we we took the concept out and we did what all startups do. We raised some capital and we tried to prove concept, which we did in Hamilton Island and Jersey. And we we did that. And, uh, the feedback was very, very positive. Uh, uh, a seed round of funding came in, which has been able to deliver us the next three years of racing and, uh, and allowed us to build out what we're doing. So it's just... It's just instead of complaining, I guess it's actioning what you believe in and 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 trying to understand um, the business of triathlon from everybody's viewpoint, not just the professionals viewing it from the professional side, and the amateurs viewing it from the amateur side, and and always pointing to someone else as a villain. Trying to understand that there there is a case for for pro sport in triathlon, and building it top down, starting at the professional level and then building out the amateur level later. Not that one is more important than the other. It's just that understanding that. In order for Super League to work and professional racing to work, you need audience size. I need um, partners that get a return on investment. And there's a lot of there's a lot of sponsorship dollars out there because a lot of the big sports like Formula One are losing those big sponsors. It doesn't mean that they're moving away from sport. They're just cutting back their sports expenditure. And sports like triathlon and cycling and these sort of sports become more attractive to those to those companies if you can communicate with that audience 
and if they can get the return on investment. So you have to invest in the production, you have to invest in the in the television distribution, and and you have to in, to invest in in a, in a product that's a truly professional product. So that's what we did, and and it's it's working. So you know, be it, be it slowly, it is definitely working. How long did it take to, to get it up and running? And, and what were your, your biggest challenges and hurdles you had to overcome to actually, you know, especially get that first event off the ground? I think the surprising the biggest the biggest hurdles are the are the people in the sport that complain about it all the time, but but are actually happy with the status quo because when you bring in change, suddenly you're the antichrist, right? So. Mind you, you spent the last five years or ten years riding with people and talking to people, and they're always complaining. And then you bring in some change, and suddenly they're like, "Oh, whoa, man, this isn't. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this, or this is." So I found I found that very, very difficult. I found where I thought I'd get a lot of support from my peers or a lot of the partners in the sport, I found them all take a backward step, which was something that I I didn't anticipate because I guess when you're an athlete and you and you see the vigor and and the, and the power in which a lot of your peers race at and, and the and the, the way they think as racers, and then when they apply that to the business world, they, they're the complete opposite. I found that as a shock. So that was a headwind I didn't anticipate. And really, it was a matter of going, okay, let's bring in people outside the sport of triathlon because to some degree, triathletes are, are blinded by the status quo. They only and, and they don't really think outside that realm. So we brought in people from other sports. So my CEO is a there's a guy actually from Volkswagen, one of the main guys that headed up Volkswagen in the transition into Asia. Um, he, he brought a, a challenge event into Asia, so he knew a little bit about triathlon and uh, a very, very organised and, and methodical guy in Michael Dulst. Um, our, our, our new commercial director is a former senior direct senior executive at Fox in, in Asia. So you, you bring in, in different people that help you think tank this thing, but think from a from a perspective broader than triathlon or broader than triathlon cycling and running. They look at the UFC, they look at boxing, they look at the changing face of media and how people are consuming that. They understand the the value of, of what the big partners are looking for, not the, I don't know, the on-running and the, the, I don't know, the Zoot and, and, and in-sport sponsors, but, but the Citibanks and the Royal Bank of Canada and the, the bigger partners, the Deloitte's what these partners look for, the Emirates, because they're the ones that can spend the money and change it, change the shape and face of the sport. So I, I think, you know, I felt very, very lonely in the beginning. Um, in that sense, I, I often felt like I was a bit of the, the outcast and then where I, I actually thought I'd be embraced. And now I think the new generation of athletes who, who are benefiting from this realise that there's, a, there's an element of passion. It's not about Chris McCormack. In fact, I don't even, I'm, a, I'm a dinosaur to these guys. It's about building a sport and building a platform for them and their junior peers to actually exist in as professionals. And that platform can be wider than the Olympics. It's not that I'm anti the Olympics. I think the Olympics is the greatest thing in the world, but forcing an athlete at 25 to move across to Ironman is ridiculous. You know, when they've got their best racing years ahead of them, take a Hamish Carter, for example, from New Zealand. He never did an Ironman. What is he, in any worse an athlete? He's one of the greatest triathletes that ever walked the planet. So I think allowing these, I guess, Formula One-style athletes, these super-fast triathletes of the modern era, a platform to, to build through, and, and, and it doesn't involve moving up to Ironman racing is what I want to do, and, and making sure that platform has financial viability for them and, and is, is successful is, is sort of how we got here. You know, it's, it's still very early days, I imagine, what the vision that you hope it to be. Uh, what do you see, like, you know, 10 years from now, what would you want a Super League to be? Um, I, I just think a nice, you know, the, what we wanted to build, as I, I guess I'm trying to say, is is an opportunity for young professionals to have the ability to make professional decisions within their career that involve them being the best swim bike runners they can possibly be and doesn't involve having to move up in distance all the time. You know, I, I look at my career and, and I guess this is how we got here and I think I was moved to Ironman racing way too young only because that 70.3 distance didn't exist when I moved up you know I, I left in 2002 at 28 years of age and started doing Ironman because your sponsors pushed you that way but I had so much more racing in short course racing if there was something for me to do there and at that time it was very much ITU related and and that and that federation system but giving giving those athletes the opportunity to exist in that ITU space but also to have a commercial value proposition given to them 
that enables them to make real money. It's not about being fit guys without a job anymore. Like a professional sport is a, a sport where there is commercial interest from partners that are bigger than the in-sport sponsors that are, are relatively small in the first place and, and, and a platform for them to have value. We, we, we watch tennis. I don't play tennis, but I can give you the top 10 tennis players in the world. Now, people might say that's a lofty goal to do that in triathlon, but more people actually do triathlon than play tennis. Right, so it's 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 these it's these I guess um, roadblocks that triathletes like to say, "Oh, mate, you, you, that's a too lofty a goal, or that's a stupid thing to say." It's not a stupid thing to say when you look at the data. There is a lot of value in this sport. It's just a matter of restructuring what what the, how this sport is done. So, you know, we we we've we've done a memorandum of understanding, MOU, working towards a contract with the ITU, and 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 being very very. Um, transparent with with them on what we want to do. We don't want to govern this sport in any way, shape, or form. We just want to offer another platform, and and building out, showing them our build goals. We've we've got a lot of the host cities in, you know, locked out and ready to roll for post the Olympic Games. We don't want to conflict with any of the athletes' Olympic aspirations, especially with the mixed relay happening now. But I think there is definitely a desire, and we're seeing that. You know, four and a half million people watched Super League. Compare that to the Ironman. Ironman. Have, 90,000 people watch Kona, 90, 90, not millions that you hear about, 90. It's a different ball game because you're appealing to a different audience and you're going to networks that were fitting within that network zone of one hour of racing on television. Do you know what's really and, interesting, and that, Mecca, is that like, when you think back to the 90, you know, because I think you, you've talked a lot about looking after the athlete experience here and looking after pros and pathways and finances and stuff, but really your job is to build triathlon. And uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the things the sport has struggled with is how do we appeal to the mass market? And, and it's interesting that, you know, you're going back to the thing that you love, the roots of the sport, which is that short, interesting, dynamic racing, which Super League is, that it allows us to, to appeal to the everyday person who knows nothing about triathlon, doesn't it? And so it's kind of, Super League really does open up a market of viewership, which will also grow the audience of triathletes. Without question. And the one thing we, we took away from our – so after every event, we get a, what they call a Nielsen report. So it's a, a media outlet that gives you an evaluation on the, your partners, the value for every single partner that was involved, the viewership, what, what you get. So the interesting thing, when you take what Ironman has done and, and the viewership of Ironman and, and what we're, we're actually doing with Super League, that – Age bracket, we've crept it back. So our primary viewer market age is between 20 and 32, right? Where Ironman is 35 and 55. So it's a different age bracket, right? So, which is what we wanted to get because what we, we discovered very early, and this was brought on to us by the, the guys at Fox when we, we got them involved in the think tank, was the way that young people watch, consume media nowadays is they've always been actively involved, which I wasn't in my day when you know they watch Australian Idol or American Idol and they've always been able to to watch someone on screen and vote or or do something so they've always the, the viewing experience for the for this generation Y or whatever they call them the millennial generation has been about being involved so they need things to be happening all the time the the ability for them to sit down and and watch the Tour de France from start to finish is very very difficult it's just that they don't they come from a different era so they, they brought in these things of eliminations at the back and making sure things were happening at all at all stages because that appeals to it to the way people consume content nowadays and and that's why when we brought out our enduro format we used to race a similar enduro format in Australia in the 90s it was twice through but there was never an elimination happening and there was never and that changed again the enduro format for us has been the most interesting now we're developing an app where you know, at, where, where the fan base will be able to save athletes from elimination and, and these types of things. <laughs> nice. Yeah, because it's it's whilst it is a you don't want it to become too Mickey Mouse, but but giving that fan base the ability to get involved in the racing to some degree, without interfering with it being a professional sport, is important. And they've done that very very successfully in Formula E, um, with the with the the boost laps they get with yeah. fan interaction, and uh, that's that's sort of the direction a lot of the networks are pushing sports to go in. If you look at one championship in Singapore. They've got very, very similar stuff with fan interaction of who gets what side of the ring, where as opposed to it used to be a flip of a coin. Now that's fan fan base. So when you start to do that, you appeal to a younger audience. And if you can take that younger audience on the journey with you, then you'll build that out in the long run. So that's it's sort of as I said, it's looking at it completely differently. I think when I was an athlete, I just looked at it with I guess a, a semi malice that I oh, look at Iron Man's making all the money and professionals aren't getting enough. 
But when you look at their business model, you don't, I don't blame them in any way, shape or form. They, they have to do that. And, and really the professionals are always going to get the short, short straw because they're a cost on business that's not super necessary. If that makes sense. So, what are the plans? You know, in terms of the next few years, um, it seems like your, you know, your window of racing is at the beginning and the end of the the sort of the ITU season. So you're sort of not interfering with Olympic qualifying, etc. What's the sort of plan? And, you know, I know you've got your qualifying races during the year. What's the sort of plan over the next couple of years in terms of realistically how many races do you want to see on the calendar for the in terms of the championship races and, and, and the direction you're heading in? Um, we, we actively involve the ITU in those conversations and the athlete association. We don't have an athlete union. We we create an athlete association with athletes that race in the league, where we feedback a lot of a, a percentage of profits into that athlete association and they determine where that money is spent, whether that's spent on qualifiers or increasing the the um, the championship prize pool. Um, we would like to bring the, the racing forward, but we do not want to clash with the, the WTS calendar. Mind you, that calendar is getting, I guess, moved forward as well and shorter um, as the Olympics sort of change for the ITU. So for us, we'd like to see a seven... Well, basically, post-Olympics, we'll have a seven-race series. We've, we've locked that out. Um, and, you know, up to a 10-race series would be our max. We sort of see ourselves as a Champions League. And to some degree, we'd love that if our qualifying races that we can deliver all year for this, uh, sort of the, 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 the second league for athletes to qualify, we're sort of copying that surfing model with the top athletes in the Championship League and then the, the World Qualifying League happening underneath. But if we could work that with the ITU and probably deliver around those events, the mixed teams relays and that, where the federations get involved and, and, and bring their athletes to this race and allow them to race in this second league with the best going through to the Champions League, um, that's where we'd like to get. Because we understand that, that racing is, um, you know, over-racing athletes can be can be very, very difficult. And, and interfering with any Olympic aspirations is key. But what we're seeing right now and the, and the clever federations, in particular the French, the Canadians, the Americans, have realised that there's going to be a, a you know, the, these next Olympics is going to be relatively difficult because the mixed teams relay, some, some teams are picking a mixed teams relay um, as a focus for the Olympics and some teams are picking a, an individual relay. So because of the two events, both events won't be as strong as they used to be, if that makes sense. So a lot of the, a lot of the athletes and a lot of the federations are saying, look, we're going to, we're going to park a lot of our athletes in Super League racing, because you're never going to get this this amount of transitions, this amount of refinement of your skill set that will benefit us in our in our other events and in our Olympic aspirations, and they're the ones actually pushing us to to sort of bring in that qualifier league and work with the ITU to support this mixed teams relay racing around that qualifying racing, but but actually push the Champions League as the Champions League like it is in football with the big prize money, the big money, and, and, and setting that fix between say. Uh, you know, mid-August, we're looking at acquiring the London Triathlon. So that's a, a beginning of August race and finishing our series in, in November. Fantastic. So it's going to be a calendar year. The athletes love it. Just, you know, like it seems like the athletes are loving it as well. Just kind of anything else you want to kind of, rep, you know, kind of add for people to know? I guess just, yeah. Um, well, we're always open to feedback. I don't claim to know all the answers. Um, yeah, just check it all out on superleaguetriathlon.com where – you know, we've got our next event in, in Poland, the next qualifier race. We have a new event in Ottawa, and then the series kicks off again in, in September um, in Jersey. Um, it's only a four-race series again this year because of the Olympics. And then, um, yeah, just, yeah, feedback's great. Like, and a lot of the, the young athletes are very, very good with feedback. And uh, it'd be great to get feedback from, from the people who love the sport and say, look, I don't really like this, or this is a bit confusing. Because trying to, to build that into the television product and, and understanding how to do that is one thing, but getting a getting a viewer's perspective. When sometimes when you're too close to the fire, you don't see the forest for the trees, right? So it's great to hear feedback. Mate, we love what you're doing. It's awesome. It's awesome. Best yeah. thing that's happened to triathlon in a long time. So keep up the good work. Yeah, Thanks for your time, Mecca. Yeah, you're a legend. Cheers. Cheers. Gotta love it, don't you? It is, and he and he just brings in so many different angles. And I loved his comment about Iron Man not really being a professional sport. Yeah. You know, and when you think about it, you go, Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a participation <laughs> sport, isn't it? Yeah. You know what? I actually, you got to mind. You know, you know, some people like him, some people hate him, but some, you know, but he's, he's always been to somebody who's polarizing character. Po- po- that's a great way of putting it. But God, I love his ambition. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Because he came out of this pro time and, and he thought, you know, because I've spent quite a bit of time with Chris over the years um, and you just love triathlon. Mm. You know what? I, and, and he's, you know, he hasn't been the guy who sits on the sideline and goes, oh, here's what we should do. He's making it happen. And this is, what he's doing is massive. It's, hey, I don't like the word game changing, but it really is. What is the word game changing? I don't know. This, you know, the things I don't <laughs> like, Bevan. Philip, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. <laughs> Call me Belinda. But, um, this. Oh, it's a game changer, John. <laughs> it, it really is. I would, you know, is this going to be in the Olympics and. I don't know, eight years' time or something like that? Well, like, I don't know. If, the, if this was the Olympics, it's better for spectating, isn't it? It is. And as you said, you take Joe Public off the off the side of the, the road and you say, right, we're going to give you three things to watch here. We're going to give you an hour of highlights from Kona. We'll give you an hour of uh, an ITU race. But you've got to say not with the sob stories. Okay, not with the sob stories. Just yeah. the pro race Hour of Kona. Kona, hour of an ITU race, hour of Super League. What are they going to be more engaged with? Yeah, yeah? Super League by country. Wow. So, but also, like, it was nice talking to him there because you just got an understanding of it's so it, like it's a big business he's working now, isn't mm. it? You know, like, he, he's he's you know, like, he should be bloody proud of himself because our sport needed this. You know, so many people fell in love with the sport in the 90s, and then you know, sport's still doing great, but don't get me wrong, but it was because it was an interesting, fascinating sport to watch. Mm. Whereas, how many people really watch ITU nowadays? Yeah, it's sometimes it's interesting to watch, and I'm a junkie, and I, you know. Yeah, for me to sit down and watch two hours of coverage, probably ain't going to happen. I'll watch it on the trainer. Yeah. But I'd, I'd, I'd certainly watch if it was a half-hour highlights package. But Great with Super League, Super series. League is like it's a highlights package. Because it's, it's actually happening live. Yeah. So no, I, I really enjoy it. And um, and he's got the connections, which is what you need. And I just hope long-term well, it's viable. Yeah, like, yeah, he's doing great. So keep it up, mate. Keep it up. Um, we're going to have Macron next week for the God Male of Short Course in the 90s. And listen out for that interview because... It's pretty bloody great. Jombo, uh, let's wrap things up because we're kind of running out of time. Um, sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Yeah, Buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few. Jombo. Joseph the Star Walensky. We've got Charles the Shadow Meehan. And Craig the Time Lord McCarthy. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.imtalk.me. You can also get your the show notes email to you just go to the bottom of the show of the front page and there's a little kind of email fill-in form I, all we do is just send you an email once I've released the show each week if you want some coaching go to coachjohnnewson.com he's a great coach uh, if you want to listen to my podcast go to bevanjamesiles.com and to send us content you can send us to imtalkpodcast at gmail.com John you goss haven't got any goss because we've been uh, out of town but I would I would highly recommend the root burn it was amazing what's your, what's your favourite Easter egg John, actually, I do have something to talk about here. Oh, here we go. This looks serious. We've gone from Easter eggs to can, serious. Can there be a company who stuffs things up more than Cadbury's? <laughs> Cadbury's worldwide. World, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they're more of British started, but you can get them in America. Yeah. So Cadbury's is kind of like in New Zealand for the longest time. They've been the chocolate company. Mm -hmm. You know, Cadbury's owned chocolate in New Zealand forever. And then a few years ago, they went to Palm Oil and, and the country mm -hmm. didn't like that, did they? No. And then, just, yeah. yeah. And then, so then Whitaker's, which is the local brand, started to become more popular. And then they thought they'd make their block sizes smaller and charge you the same price. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what they've done now, John? Made the Easter eggs smaller. No. Well, maybe, but what they've done, and they've ruined cream eggs. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because creamy used to be creamy, didn't they? Nowadays, yes. it's like concrete. Yeah. Ah, oh, no. So Joe's all Joe wants for Easter is marshmallow eggs. Yep. Love them. Do you like a marshmallow? I egg? do like a marshmallow egg. Yep. Half the size, though, aren't they? That's what they've done with them. Isn't they're, they're, it? No, it's no longer two put together. They just give you one. It's pathetic. Exactly. Because you did get that thick layer of chocolate. I in think the middle. was a thick key, wasn't it? Yeah. Cadbury's. Who's working at Cadbury's? <laughs> yeah. You know. So, so Cadbury's sharpen up. What's your favourite Easter egg? If you, yeah, I would say marshmallow. A really good quality marshmallow egg is probably right up there. I think. Yeah. And as you said, a cream egg in its day—that was good. Cream eggs have lost their lost their. Mm. Just love a cream egg. But I'm I'm not a big Easter egg person, but I'm gonna and get myself a few this year. I'm normally just the problem is now you get them all all year round, can't but you're, you? Yeah, but you, I don't. You know, my thing is a hot cross buns. Okay. Do you like hot cross buns? Uh, yeah, I do like good hot cross buns. Oh, I love some hot cross buns. Nice bit of what's your lash, biggest, lashing what's, of butter. What's the treat? <laughs> yeah, we were wrapping the show up a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, you, no, you but, what, but what's your treat? If you if you got you know whatever whatever food you want, and there's no budget, you know, but you're gonna I'm treating myself. A big bag of salt and vinegar chips <laughs> with um, onion with with a uh, classic. Oh, oh John, you're close to me there. Yeah. Mm. 
Because we're not going into the tail as Kate's always because she knows I love dip. She makes two cont- two poles of it. I've my brewery house. I'm licking the bowl yeah. of the second one. Yeah, I'm hearing well. you. Can't beat a Kiwi classic onion dip. Reduced cream, onion dip, bit of lemon. Oh. Not onion dip, onion soup. Oh, Don't put vinegar in there, but. No. <laughs> Why would you put vinegar in there? Oh, we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> right up. Uh, just, just so you know, if we're going a bit loopy in the show, it's because we have recorded two shows back to back and yep. we've been sitting down for quite a while. I'm feeling very relaxed, but so let's do it. I'm Russ. I'm Minot. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. kaha.